Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of Got the Yearbook After Hours. It is I, your host as always, Eric, a.k.a. The Eric Wynn. And with me as always is our co-host with my host, Caitlin, a.k.a. The Caitlin D. Caitlin, how is it hanging? It's hanging. Uh, it, so this is weird because this is our first non-live episode ever. I, not ever. Mm-hmm. We've done some like test episodes. It's kind of a reminder of that. And uh, we should be careful to not go too off the rails because I really- <laughs> Like think, we have in the past? <laughs> yeah. Like I really think doing live keeps it tight because, and it's, it's not, doesn't even really keep it that tight. But mentally for me, I just, I know like I can't just completely go off into the abyss of my mind and uh, just force you to edit forever. So we'll see how we do. We'll see how we do. I, I am reminded of those early episodes, which is so funny because it was just a few months ago, but it seems like a lifetime ago where we would do late night sort of just personality quizzes that we do like one in the morning just to test out like the audience like that and it would be like two hour longs as we just like said so much stuff that can never see the light of day yeah and there were like 200 coronavirus cases in LA and I like didn't leave the house for two weeks and now there's like thousands in my neighborhood and I'm like I'm gonna go to seven walk around Yeah, speaking of your, uh, before we get into the topic and our guest, just, you're supposed to go to the beach tomorrow, right? Yeah. Like, that's... I know. What, Not what? only that, but, oh, this is, I, I honestly, I don't want to talk about it, because <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, I'm, I'm engaging in some risk, uh, some ri- high risk activities in the next couple days, and, um, I, I'm, you know, I already have a COVID test scheduled for Wednesday, just so I know I'm like... I can't even detect it after that time. But the thing is, I actually get tested so regularly because I see my clients and a lot of my clients are like immunologically compromised and have been home since like the beginning. And so I would feel like an asshole if I was like, well, time for your massage and (laughs) COVID. I, I feel like even the most staunch, like hardcore people, everyone's hitting this point where it's just it's so hard to like maintain that true vigilance right now. I think that everyone is kind of like dipping in and out of like, I think everyone's for the most part, I mean, I can't say everyone, but I think a lot of people are still, you know, doing the best they absolutely can. But I think that they're, I think we're, we're all going to the beach metaphorically speaking on some days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, for me, it was just like, I hit a wall of loneliness cause I'm, I am single. <laughs> like, just like, it was like, you know what? I'm going to have to like, just do it. I'm just, I, yeah. I gotta go out there. I wasn't meant for this fucking life. Um, but also I do feel fucking horrible every time I like then go on the internet and I'm like, oh my God, people are dying. And just like, I'm like, hee hee, maybe I won't get it. Yeah. I mean, I was, t- I was just talking to my friend earlier this evening about the fact that it's like, you look at one person's story on Instagram and you roll your eyes at what you're seeing, but then you're doing something else that anyone else might, you know, a more staunch person will roll their eyes at, you know, it's just, it's this cycle of sorts that we're all kind of stuck in. So you got your test on Wednesday though. So we'll check in on Thursday about that. (laughs) (laughs) Prayers, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Uh, Otherwise let's just get right into it. Let's just do it. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, well, this evening, as we've been kind of posting about all week, uh, and we kind of talked about it on our guest episode, which is why we brought them back on, uh, we're going to get into DVD bonus features. We're going to talk about some of our favorite um, Easter eggs, commentary tracks, et cetera, et cetera, from the golden era of DVDs. And of course, we had to bring back returning champ Eli Olsberg to do this one with us. Eli, how's it going, sir? Hi, very good. I have, I, before we get, let's do our own commentary on COVID. <laughs> uh, yes. I immediately wanted to jump. I've been dying to jump into this conversation. Please, about please. The met- yeah. about the metaphorically going to the beach was first off gold. Um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I think the same thing. Like I, I do think, I, well, I think we know now more enough about it where we know what leaving the house entails in terms of like reasonable things to do mm-hmm. versus like, uh, you know, because what, what's really funny is when you said you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be doing high risk things. That used to mean like a one night stand without a condom, like way back <laughs> in the day. You know what oh, I mean? that's, like, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you're like, I'm going to the beach and having unprotected sex. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, the, I guess the beach is because, you know, outdoors, it's obviously fine. I don't know. I've been going to drive-ins. That's been the closest I've gotten mm-hmm. to. Oh, yeah, that's the new thing now, yeah. Um, like, like level, it keeps me leveled out. And for me, I, I, go, I go on nights where I, if I know I don't have to be up relatively early, like if you go to the really late showings, if you can stay awake, obviously, they're not that crowded on a, week, a weekday night. I saw what like, you, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to ask you, you're about to answer that thing. I was going to ask you what you've, what you've seen so far. So the first double feature I did. So there's, okay, there's a weird law LA has right now about drive-ins. Most, the three existing drive-ins in like the greater LA area are the Vineland Drive-In, which is in City of Industry, um, and the Paramount Drive-In in in Paramount, and the Mission Tiki, which is in Ontario almost. It's like way out east. Way out there, yeah. And and that they're all double features typically. You pay 10 bucks and you can actually stay for two movies. But LA County passed a law where you can only do one movie. They can't, they won't let people stay for two. Um, So I've been going to the Mission Tiki because the American Cinematheque's been doing a double feature series on Thursdays. And the first one I did was Point Break and True Romance. Oh, nice. nice. That's awesome. Beautiful double feature. Yeah. And uh, I'm, Point one Break of those in movies, particular. Yeah. One of those movies will come up later when we talk about DVD stuff. Like that. Oh, I, I really hope it's the one I'm thinking of because I also was going to bring it up. So Perfect. We'll get, we'll get to it. We'll quick, save it. Quick question. Yes. Is the sure. law just so that like more people can go to the movie? Or why can you only see one? I, 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 that's actually what I thought. I, well, because it, it doesn't keep... The thing is, most people don't stay for the second movie if they have the option. Uh-huh. Um, that's even true back when we were... When double features were done like in regular movies, like at the New Bev... Um, the only time people say it is if it's like a very special type of screening. Um, but I, but I think it's more, it keeps things moving. Like, like it keeps people who probably aren't going to follow all the rules from sticking around and being terrible. Um, Mm. but I also think it does, you're, you're probably right. I think there's something to that, but, but it says on all the posters that they're only doing single features is per LA County health guidelines. So that's the only reason I think there's something health related to it. Okay. Um, but since Mission Tiki's in um, San Bernardino, technically, um, that's why they're doing the double features there. And then I just saw Manhunter there. Ah, oh, nice. 
beautiful movie. They did it as a double with Silence of the Lambs, but I, could, I couldn't stay. I've seen Silence yeah. of the Lambs so many times. And uh, so then we left and we, on our way back, we stopped and watched Bill and Ted at another drive-in. <laughs> the, the new one? or <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the new one. It, I thought it was great. A lot of people seem to be mixed on it, but I thought it was fun. And the last five minutes was shockingly affecting. Oh, like I, I, was I heard that actually. Yeah, I heard some people, some early reviews from some critics saying that there was actually like a really emotionally touching aspect to the movie. There is. And it's just a clean like 80 minutes or so. It's very, it's like oh, so short. So it's just like, even if something doesn't work two minutes later, something else that comes along mm-hmm. does work. Um, That's like well, I, a good short runtime. I, I feel the same way about like when I go to a show, I want like a 20 to 25 minute set. I want you to leave me yes. more. I don't want to yeah. hear <laughs> 20 minute banter. Yeah. <laughs> no, not even that. It's the bands that just play every song they've got that drive me yeah. crazy. Yeah. There's something to it. Like it's really interesting with, I think uh, that's especially true of like uh, any punk, pop, punk, power pop, like that whole air. It, that really hinges on the energy of the performers. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think like a lot of the time, especially now because a nostalgia touring is such like a big thing, you mm-hmm. can tell who's really like, okay, this is a paycheck and they <laughs> are like powering through and their age has completely caught up to them. And you, and then everyone else is like still having a ball. And that's kind of the difference between a fun show and a not fun show, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I only go, I either go to those or I just go to like straight up pop shows. It's like, but you're right. I think that like, depending on who's performing, most of the time it should be shorter and just like. Yeah. Unless you're paying for like the big ticket, like going to see Cher or something like, yeah, let let Cher sing for two hours, you know, like. Well, yeah. If you're paying like a certain amount, then it's like, yeah, you fucking stay on that stage for a long time (laughs) but she also has the catalog she's been around long enough that she can she can fill that out without being like without being like hey we cut a new album here's a new song off like she could just play the hits like you know yeah that realm what's weird is when like i watched um over the last couple years like coachella they do like the live cast now so Mm -hmm. you can just like watch it and like people watch it yeah right and (laughs) People like, like there's certain pop stars like The Weeknd, Drake, where they'll, mm-hmm. because they have so many hits, because that's kind of just the way people do things now. They just like turn them out because that's kind of the nature of the business yeah. now. And so at Coachella, like The Weeknd will go on. And I I really like him, actually. I love a lot of his songs, but he'll I just do, do like one verse, two chorus. Like he'll do a chorus, verse, chorus, quick, like little, like, yeah, you know that song. And then just jump to the next thing. Like it's so like. All can these like, I, appetizer versions. Can I detour on this for a second? <laughs> sure. I, Please I, do. I, sorry. I'm sorry. I like. I know we haven't, we haven't even gotten to the thing that this is all about. I'm, like, all right. I'm just like. This is the kind of evening we're having. Um, <laughs> uh, I so I saw uh, the weekend's been doing that since he first started performing. Um, I oh, saw really? him. Yeah. So when he came out, so the first year I think was in 2011. I think he put out those three albums those, or mixtapes. Yeah. I guess. Um, he did not perform at all. There was like, no one knew it was one person. They thought it maybe it was a group. And then uh, I saw his first LA concert, which was right after Coachella um, at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Not oh, no. in the Masonic Kidding. Lodge, but like in the outdoor people, we were dancing on graves. It's kind of weird. Whoa. Um, yeah. And then, Super fun. Yeah, and Drake popped up for like two seconds and the place went ballistic. Like out was, of a grave? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he emerged out of a casket. Wait, um, this is back, back in like 2011, 2012 in that era? 
Yeah, this was um, early 2012. So he, there was no opener. He just came out and performed for like an hour and a half. But he, mm-hmm. you know, he obviously, he already had th- three short albums worth of material. And he mostly played full songs. But I remember at one point he like played one song. Let me see if I can remember what it was. I think he started playing his Dirty Diana cover. Yeah. And right when people thought he was going to like launch into it he suddenly launched into the birds. It was a very weird transition <laughs> yeah. um, that like kind of caught everyone off guard. It was actually a great transition if the song was ending and it was a new song, but it was just mm-hmm. like, it, so everyone screamed Dirty Diana and there's like snares playing over everybody's screen. <laughs> that was my detour. Well, to, uh, to further your detour, first of all, to anyone who might not know about the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, it's uh, like home to like, lots of rock and roll dead people that all wanted to be buried where they could party forever basically yep. it's called hollywood forever for a reason that's the official name uh one of the, I, I which ramon is there i always forget um but there's like there's rock stars there's you know like whatever la actors, society people yeah. actors it's like kind of considered a privilege to be there but it's also this beautiful graveyard where you can like go into the tombs and there's lakes and swans mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. these huge it's fucking gorgeous um and i my fondest and most awful memory there was i went to a show that was like it was in the winter time oh it was actually a halloween show so but it was like an outdoor like big dj thing and when i got there it was open bar i was like some oh. it was an open bar and i was there with my friend but the line for the bar was ridiculous of course. and we waited like 45 minutes for drinks and when i got there i was like i'll just order two double vodka sodas and that way i'll like be set for the night you know mm-hmm. and but then i was really cold and so i was like holding these cold drinks and i was in this short dress i was in this like short wedding dress someone it just dumped me and i thought it would be funny to dress like a bride for halloween and then like i chugged both the vodkas and then immediately realized that like you just you can't fucking do that or i can't do that. <laughs> no most and, people like, can't do that it's... yeah and i turned and immediately just barfed all over somebody's face. so that was like such a low point in my 20s was like barfing in a wedding dress on a grave <laughs> <laughs> I... like actual desecration <laughs> There's a great, it's a divisive movie, but uh, there's a great scene in um, Under the Silver Lake where they take like a, it's set at Synespia. The, for people listening, there's a, they do like a weekly movie series there back pre, this was pre pandemic, Mm -hmm. Um, but they would show movies every week. And sometimes now it's gotten so big actors show up, but like people just watch movies over all these actors graves i guess it's supposed to be a like it's like movies in the park but you're in a cemetery right right but it's a fun because uh, uh, under the silver lake is kind of like a a a love hate letter to Mm -hmm. the the industry and so it's kind of like shitting on senespia and there's like he's intentionally at one point standing over hitchcock's grave um if i remember correctly as he's as he's watching this thing and leaving it was i thought it was very funny but anyway that's a recommendation for me to someone who will watch it and probably hate it. I don't know. I, a lot of people seem to really not like it. Well, while we're kind of close to the topic. Yeah, of the I was, was segueing us there. <laughs> Let's get on that on-ramp onto the super highway of DVD yeah. bonus features. Uh, so I one thing I did want to say before we get super into it is I do think that it's a bit of a tragedy just that like 
uh, in the transition from DVDs? Well, first of all, we had like, you know, VHSs that last forever. Not a whole lot of bonus content on a VHS. It has to be like at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, music oh, yeah. video at the end. <laughs> and then DVDs, it was so cool because people, and I think people at first got really creative with it and they were putting Easter eggs and stuff yep. and, uh, you know, like, doing all these directors commentaries over it and you can fit all kinds of data on a dvd so they can just like load up these dvds and have collector's editions i think that's like it's kind of a sad casualty of things moving to streaming is that like yeah agree yeah something that is happening though it's kind of having a renaissance again physical media um because i think now for, for two reasons one tvs even like at their most you know for now for 90 dollars, you can literally get a 1080 television like you can get a TV in high definition. And so, and DVDs, and, or I should say Blu-rays now are going dirt cheap. But I think that like, uh, it's just becoming vinyl now. Uh, but that being said, mm-hmm. because of that, the, the companies that are doing this are doing like the Lord's work. It, just for anyone listening, if they're interested, there's companies, there's um, Aero Video has a US and UK line, but they kind of like are criterion for genre. So like anything that's like horror related, um, Shout Factory, which also has Scream Factory. Um, and then of course, Criterion is still doing their thing, not just right. on, the, on the channel, but like they're, you know, they're putting out Parasite on Blu-ray next month. Um, yeah. They just put out Portrait of a Lady on Fire. They're taking a lot of the like Netflix originals and also putting them on, um, on Criterion, like Marriage Story and The Irishman and stuff. And so with those, like, so, Criterion, don't they also, like, can't you go watch commentaries on Criterion as well? Yes, I'm yeah. so glad they did that. They have, if it's a title that they own, I just learned this actually like a week ago, listening to another podcast, the Criterion programmer talked about it, but like, they have their own library for Janus Films. That's like kind of, I think the like arm of Criterion that does the restoration and distribution. Um, yeah. I think if it's theirs and they actually own it, they do have like a section where you could just look at all the features and whatever's on that disc, they, they've put it there in like, like as a file kind of. Mm-hmm. Which um, I think I brought this up when you were here last time, which is how we kind of like came up with the ep- idea for this episode. But I'm telling you that all the other streaming platforms need to do this. You can do, I, what I think they should do is like, you can pay a little bit extra and then you get access to those things. Like it, even if it's just with like the new Netflix original movies, yes. which like, I'm not the biggest fan of all their original stuff, but like that would be a good starting point to like buy into getting those bonus features on those. I'll do you one better. I don't pay a dime extra. They just put all that shit in the streaming service that, I, that, yeah. I'm, that I'm already paying for. They, um, I, I mean, that would be really great. <laughs> I know with some, uh, the phys- what physical media, excuse me, I've purchased recently, you know, they come with digital codes now. So you can keep it on, like what it does is there's this, um, I forget the name of the app, but it connects to all your, to Amazon, Voodoo, whatever you use. Yeah. And I know Voodoo and maybe Apple TV, they actually do port in the DVD features, um, not commentaries, but I know like if there's any kind of special feature, all those featurettes are included on there. So I think they're like slowly moving that way, but it's mm-hmm. probably on a case by case basis. I wonder if media like physical or not physical, but just media in general will ever stabilize to the point that it used to be where it was like, you know, you got radio, you got TV, you got film. 
and you got a whatever VHS or something. And it was like that for a while, you know, yeah. and you didn't have to, yeah. but it's such a shit show right now. And like people are it trying is. to figure out like, do I, do I do a digital download code with the vinyl? Do I uh, like where, like there's too many fucking streaming platforms. Like, I know. Nobody, nobody well, wants they- I don't even know what I'm subscribed to. Half the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had that problem for a bit. And I, I just kind of streamlined everything. Um, and I find myself, well, I think the thing I, I love most about physical media right now, particularly with like vinyl or um, Blu-ray or any of those things is consistency. Um, so like if I'm listening to something on vinyl, it just forces me to kind of like, I, I, I'm not going to try and figure out where a track is. I'm either going to put it on or I'm not. Um, and with, uh, like, I'm not a purist in the sense when I hear people be like, oh, it just sounds warmer. I I don't, (laughs) I I think people, I think someone heard someone else say that now. And Oh my God. It's the same thing with, uh, fucking tube amps versus solid state amps. I like till I die, I will never play with a tube amp because I can't listen to a man tell me that it sounds warm i like it's just so obnoxious i mean i'll admit i'm a snob about like uh like when it comes to film but that's because i live in la and so i know that there are people here who give a shit about that so if if an old movie is going to show somewhere i will go see it on 35 but i also worked as a projectionist at a movie theater before back when it was still on film so i i don't know you can tell the difference and it's nice that people care about that but I, so it, like if I'm going to go see something old and they're like, oh, we're showing it on digital. It's like, well, I'll just watch that at home. Mm-hmm. But right. it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's also not something I'm not like, you know, getting like furious if someone else does it. I don't you know, I think it's great that they're still showing that thing. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll go watch it. I don't care. But I just think like if I lived in a city that wasn't L.A. or New York, I probably wouldn't be as selective about that. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's funny because like when people like i feel like i got the solid state amp because i was first of all because they're cheaper and you can't break them as easily but then when i realized that that every show yeah exactly and i'm little so if i put something down too hard it's gonna break you know (laughs) and like then i realized every time i went to show oh you should get a you should get you should get a tube amp you should it sounds warmer i'm like maybe i want to sound fucking cold you know (laughs) and like that's the thing is like there's a place for everything in media like how you do things matters more than like what you're doing it on or like it's just like bringing the elements together so that like you're again we're completely off topic no actually we're not well hold on that actually that's a perfect (laughs) segue okay okay, good good i think there's one point of physical media i think one of the most interesting things in physical media is the in the early 2000s there was this renaissance and filmmaking of um of digital video um before everything went like hd and you know what it is now you're either, you're either shooting on like a red or you're shooting on on film right yeah uh, there was this experimental period where filmmakers were shooting on on dv tapes so it was digital tapes and it yes. has this weird aesthetic that um, I mean, most famously, 28 Days Later is probably the most well-known one. Um, oh, really? That one is a... Uh, I didn't know yeah, that. That was shot on a Canon XL2. That was the big camera at the time. Because I, I was in that film school. Sense. I was in film school yeah. when all this was happening. So I was like really paying attention to it all the time. And I remember... It looks like that. It looks, now that I think about it, the look of it, totally. Yeah, it totally has. But it works in favor of the movie. Um, and uh, mm. another great example of that is Bamboozled by Spike Lee. He was like, oh my the God, first yeah. person to yes. shoot a movie that way. It's just this very 
like garish. Uh, I, I don't know. It doesn't look it, it, it aesthetically. It's not very pleasing, but it, it especially for the, that movie, that's it, it probably in Spike Lee terms his one of his most confrontational films, um, yes. even by his own standards. It like really adds to it. Um, I know Steve Soderbergh did a movie, a few movies like that. Um, and there was uh, one other one I was just thinking of. Um, and I'm, I'm blanking on it right now. But anyway, yeah, so a lot. Oh, uh, Inland Empire by David Lynch. That was his last feature film. And yes. he like loved shooting on it. And, and I, I haven't seen it yet. I actually was just talking to a friend right before we started recording this saying that I'm going to watch it soon. But um, I was going to bring that movie up tonight too. It's yeah, on my list. <laughs> it, it, there's a scene. I, I know there's one scene, the locomotion scene. Um, I, I, I've seen before it. It's like hypnotic, but I feel like him shooting it on DV does add to what it, it totally is up his alley, I guess is my point. But, yeah. It, it adds like a real fucked up surreal layer to it. Cause it makes it look more lifelike and yet not at the same time. It, yeah. it is a very specific kind of grainy real. I can't even explain it. Like bamboozled. I, I didn't know that, but now that I'm thinking about it. It did. It always looked kind of filmed weirdly. And I didn't, I never recognized why that was. And it does right. add to kind of eerie, there's like a creepiness to the look of it and it's the only it's the only medium that and the reason I, I bought this up and i kind of transitioned to it was because it's the only medium where even if you restore it or put it on because criterion just put it out and i haven't seen the criterion version yet but it, it um it, even if it's like 2k or 4k whatever you're talking about it's still gonna always have this slightly off look um mm -hmm. and I, I i mean some filmmakers want that i i know Michael Mann was obsessed with that, like with Miami Vice. It has that, yeah. it has that really specific look, uh, which is a movie I, um, every time I watch it, I either really like it or really hate it. I, I don't, it just depends on which the way the wind's blowing. Um, Cause that's a, that's a movie that's, I mean, cops suck obviously now, but like uh, um, it's, I don't know. There's something about that movie. It's like built on vibes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Not to get into another tangent, but I that know. movie, like it never complete. It just doesn't quite hit what I want it to hit the way some of his other um, stylistic movies do. And because I, it's exactly that it's all style. There's not a whole lot of substance to it. It's like every scene feels like a music video. Um, but there's never anything that ever pulled me into that movie. Like I never but, really gave a shit about any character. It's funny, but the thing for me is I felt a lot of those things. And by the way, that movie has an insane following in terms of its defenders. They think it's like, really? like one of his best. Yeah, yeah. If you go on Letterboxd or like something, just read, like people <laughs> have boy. like really will go go in on it. Um, I I don't know. I kind of get seduced by it because it has it exists in this vacuum in which. Um, it, it tries to make, and I'm from South Florida, by the way, I'm from right up the street from Miami. So I, I, I grew up in that area. And I, I think what's funny about his interpretation of Miami is, um, especially in 2006, he, his, the entire soundtrack is like audio slave and like dad rock. And that is <laughs> yeah. not, that's not what was cool in 2006 in Florida. It was barely cool anywhere else. Um, yeah. he, uh, but he also like, it's like this existential vacuum of like machismo and mm -hmm. it, it it's masculinity has never been that to begin with, but his interpretation is so fascinating to me because um, it's just like Colin Farrell with this ridiculous, not quite a handlebar mustache, but it's, it, I don't know. It's like he simultaneously looks ridiculous. And also you look at him and you're like, I can totally see how women find him snackable on this. Like it's yeah. a very weird thing. Anyway, that, 
that was a detour. <laughs> okay, so to, just to reel it in a little bit, I do yes. want to make uh, one distinction real quick before we start getting into sure. our our actual like you know, <laughs> topic. Uh, topic, yeah. Um, one is just the difference between Easter eggs and bonus features. So mm -hmm. Easter eggs, uh, it's like when you go in a DVD menu and it's, again, it's less common now because DVDs are less created to be DVD-esque. Yeah. When they first came out, it was like you had this fucking crazy remote and like it was, there were things like you could basically have a menu and if you scrolled mm -hmm. around it and you moved and you pressed like a certain thing, like this little <laughs> icon would appear that wouldn't have been yeah. there before. And if you clicked on that, you would get like a little featurette or a bonus feature and at the time especially that was like so pre like there wasn't like social yeah. media for years leading up to a project so you would actually finally get to see the conception of of all these ideas or some behind the scenes some bloopers some like actors things uh that's an easter egg and then a bonus feature is just like a literal it's on the back of the box it tells right. you it's yeah, there yeah, yeah. it's you, used for like a, to sell a collector's item exactly you know? um and it usually the most basic thing is a director's commentary so on that note, uh, did you, Eric, did you have a place you wanted to begin or are you there? So are actually, yeah, that, I'm glad you kind of brought up that <laughs> distinction. Can you, can you hear me while, could yeah. you not hear me when I was saying all that? Okay. Um, Just when yeah, you weren't talking. That yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a haunting silence. That's yeah. the only way I could describe it. It was because she said, right when she finished talking, we couldn't hear you, but I don't think you were saying anything. But it was, um, it was like, did he die? <laughs> like, where, what happened? Did he get COVID? I was trying to, well, it doesn't matter. Anywho, yeah, I was yeah. thinking that, it, you always pick the perfect moments to call me out, by the way. <laughs> I feel like you like look and you see like, when is Oh, no, I literally, I was looking at my notes. And so I didn't, um, I didn't on the screen. Anyway, go ahead. I, I do think that was perfect, actually. The, I, I was kind of wanting to go through those three different things, which was, Bonus features, Easter eggs, and commentaries. Because um, I feel like I, I have a kind of a little list of every single one. Uh, I don't know if you guys broke it down like that or not. I, but... I made a list, and it's it's fairly, it's not super detailed, but it, it has that kind of a similar breakdown to yours. Well, so, I, okay, go ahead, Eric. Oh, I was just going to say, so, what were you going to say? I was going to say the first one I looked into because um, I was going to go into my own DVD collection. And then of course I couldn't get any sort of DVD player to work out. And <laughs> because it's the technology is not there anymore. Um, so at least in my household. And so what I ended up actually doing was going into like uh, the internet and doing it the more modern way. I mean, like what are the cool DVD bonus features that are out there? And the one that I haven't actually seen before that I just got to watch clips of on YouTube, but I really want to get my hands on it is the fear and loathing commentary <laughs> by Hunter S Thompson. And yes. I actually, I posted a small clip of it, but I, I pulled a couple things that I just wanted to highlight. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, I highly uh, recommend just like- So good, it was also I can, on my list. <laughs> I'm like actually gonna buy the Fear and Loathing DVD and figure out how to find a DVD player just so I, go ahead. Well, you, like? you could probably get that, that I, I think Criterion even probably has that on Blu-ray. I mean, that's like a, that, that's probably one you can easily find. What I remember is Criterion prior to like, now they have like these insane sales on like Barnes and Noble or, or, on, or on their own website where like they'll go half off. Uh -huh. But for a long time, Criterion was known for being very expensive. And, um, but the amount of work they did at the time of DVDs, yeah. like when they were coming out was really truly like God tier. And so 
I remember the two affordable DVDs they always had were Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Chasing Amy. <laughs> okay, interesting. <laughs> but that was uh, one of them, yeah. I also learned through this research today that apparently Michael Bay's Armageddon is in the Criterion. So part. is The Rock. Both of those okay. are. And, right. Oh, and there is a great, if you can find right. it on YouTube, there is a fantastic moment in the commentary when, if, for Armageddon when Ben Affleck says, yes. I think he was like drunk during it or it, yes. it's, he's very like lively in it. And he says at one point, he's like, you know, I, I turned to Michael Bay and I was like, well, why wouldn't you just send astronauts up there and teach him how to drill instead of the other way around? It just would make more sense. And apparently yeah. Michael Bay just turned to him and said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you, that was also on my list. You got, it's on YouTube. They put like, someone did like the greatest hits of that one. I absolutely insist everyone goes out and find yeah. it. Ben Affleck just like absolutely just well, he's kind of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> he's apparently kind of known for doing like re really good witty commentaries. I think whoever came up with the idea of a direct of a DVD commentary is a fucking genius because there's something so yeah. funny about watching a movie that you've seen a million times, but then like listening to some people sit on a couch with a microphone in the room and watch their own movie. Those those actually uh, commentaries go back to laser discs. Oh, okay. I was gonna. Right. I'm glad you brought that up, Eli, because uh, when we were kind of talking about the VHS to DVD, I know that Laserdisc were in the middle of all that, and I know there's like a small elite group of people who are really dedicated to Laserdisc. I never knew if those had. They did have bonus content on them. I don't know if they had bonus content in 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 terms of like like the way DVDs had them. I know that I know that Criterion did Laserdiscs, and the only reason I know that is I was oh, reading a I story. Did not know that. Yeah, I was reading a story that. Um, uh, I, where did I read this? Oh, I, I, there was this, and it, it came from, let me see. Yeah, I have it here. So I was going to get into Robert Rodriguez DVDs eventually in this thing. Um, that's who made like the El Mariachi trilogy. But right. um, uh, he talked about, I think it was in his book where he listened to a taxi driver commentary on a Criterion Laserdisc and Martin Scorsese was talking about how awful the filmmaking process is. <laughs> I love when directors are, especially, it usually helps if a producer isn't there or someone like that, but I like yeah. it when they get real, real. Well, so speaking of real, real, I want to circle yeah. back real quick to Hunter oh, yes. S. Thompson, because first of all, like, for some reason, when I think of Hunter S. Thompson, I don't even think of him as like a contemporary figure to like Johnny Cash, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it, it was really funny watching like this movie where he's being depicted on screen and he's already just this fucking wild character and he's in there with two women that like clearly they all have like a deep friendship you know mm -hmm. and like the way they talk to each other and like the very first scene uh like the backcountry scene you just hear him like yeah <laughs> 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 and he just like he continually will scream and make these like crazy noises and at one point he does this laugh that's like <laughs> just like over the movie for 30 seconds um at one point he during a scene where Johnny Cash is like calling someone on the phone he calls you hear on Johnny Depp call Benicia del Toro and uh, verbatim he says you jackass bastard I've been hearing a lot about you and not all of it is satisfactory and the fact that you want to answer your phone is making me a bit edgy well who fucking cares about you you fucking yellow belly and then the women interrupt him and they're like Hunter you, are, you gotta be nice and he's like you jackass fucking Nazi paid <laughs> okay, well, I'll see you later man okay <laughs> just hangs up the phone mm. um 
And yeah, so I desperately want to rewatch that movie with that full commentary. But also, I feel like it will get old, like just listening to someone do coke and cackle at their own, like, Oh, and then the other thing he said too was one of the women asked him, like, hey, uh, did you know you made it big when you were being portrayed by a Hollywood heartthrob? And he's like, oh, yeah, that was good. All my life I've wanted to be portrayed on the great silver screen by a contemporary heartthrob preferably as small ones. And then he just roasts Johnny Cash for being small for a while. I love that. You, Johnny he, Depp? Or? Johnny Depp, yeah. You, you, you've said Johnny Cash like seven times. It's oh so my God, that's so sorry. Funny. I literally uh, had no idea. I, I was... <laughs> I was like trying, like, don't laugh, don't laugh. Yeah. Just let her get through the kids because we've derailed so many times. And like, yeah, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Johnny and Cash. I'll, fuck. The casualness with which you've been saying it is what's been so like chef's kiss about it. I'm sorry. You're, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. He, he's like, yeah, I can't believe I was played by Johnny Cash. It's so great. That's the kind of thing that listening like to a podcast I would be listening to and be like, I can't take this bit. <laughs> the first time you said it, I thought you actually, because. Uh, Eli, you should know that Caitlin Johnny Cash is like one of her like favorites, and she's, no, he's like, my favorite. spirit guide. Like he's sitting yeah. on my yeah, bed yeah. right now, watching and over me. So when you first brought him up, I thought that you were gonna make a connection to him, and I had no idea. The and joke, then you kept yeah. saying it. No, <laughs> I, I meant like, okay, Johnny Depp. What... I had no idea I was doing that. <laughs> I even was looking at notes that said Johnny Depp, so I had no clue. <laughs> um, Since we're, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so like, we're since we're kind of going on the topic of uh, audio commentaries, I will say um, one of the one like it's so funny how they kind of predate uh, podcasts in a certain sense. Uh, yeah. Once I used to watch, or I should say, like, I mean, you kind of watch and you listen, but I used to listen to the Mister Show uh, episode commentaries all the time back in the day when they first put the DVDs out. And especially, I think it's season four is when Scott Ackerman, who then became the host of Comedy Death Ray, um, which is now a huge podcast, like when his season came along that he was a writer on and he was thus in those audio commentaries, he had like a really good memory of like all things they did. So like he would tell a lot of the like behind the scenes tales and then they would have like character like other people like Paul Tompkins would start doing random characters, Jerry Minor, like all these guys were just like in it. It really is crazy because it, it was probably like four or five years before he started in the podcast. And it, it feels like, oh, that was like what the template became for like his show and a lot of many others. Not that like there weren't no, podcasts you, before his. You just but. invented a college course, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> they, well, the, I remember like I, I'm, I'm looking here at some commentary. So I think what's uh, for me, there's um, – there's like th basically three types of commentaries. First off, if, I, I, I'm not even going to recommend the specific film. Just I think I bought this up at the, on the last episode. I could be wrong, but um, Abel Ferrara, who made um, Bad Lieutenant, Miss 45, yes. um, among Body Snatchers, among many others, he, his commentaries. So for people who don't know, he is probably the most... Um, he, his movies are great, but he's also unhinged. Um, but <laughs> really? In a, yeah, in a weirdly, but in a very, uh, he, uh, he's probably one of the only filmmakers I can think of that really owns it in his, you see it in his work, like the, specifically his later work, like The Addiction and Bad Lieutenant and stuff, because he's, uh, he had to leave New York. He's a New York filmmaker and he left because he had, his uh, crack addiction was so bad. That he now lives in Italy because if he says if he returns Whoa. to New York, he will relapse. 
I can see uh, there so being he, a lot less crack in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Without, he, like, the absence of the American government. It's funny how it just doesn't circulate. Right. It, well, he, and he like, um, in, in all of his, I, I don't know if it's the case with King of New York and uh, there may have been a period where he was, he was sober, but a lot of stories of people who worked with him all talk about how he is just, he was out of his mind for the entire film, particularly the addiction. And I think the funeral, all they talk about is like him trying to f- like steal money from people on the set, like casting. Oh my gosh. Drugs. And that um, makes so much sense too. When I think about a, those movies and like the field vibe. It's yeah. a funny concept to like have your boss be trying to steal cash from you. I know it's crazy. Cause like as a director, you would think he would like, have the funds, but also all his stuff is so, is literally like shot on the street. I mean, it's like such handmade stuff. I think with the exception of Body Snatchers, I don't think he's ever really done anything studio oriented besides like some Miami Vice episodes. And he, but his commentaries apparently have the same issue, like where he was just, you could hear it. He's just like, oh, who's this cat? Oh man, what the fuck happened that day? Fuck that. He'll just just kind of start rambling and then just stop. Manic. Yeah, oh, totally. I don't even know if manic's the right word. It's like, it's just straight. Yeah, it's like fragmented stream of consciousness. Um, Beautiful art. Um, Some of my, I have a list of commentaries here. Um, One of my favorite ones is on Evil Dead 2. Yes. Uh, It's a great one. It it answered, that's like one of my favorite movies, like top 10. And uh, there's a scene in it. Have both of you seen it? Oh yeah, the commentary was on my list too. Oh, okay. Sorry, Caitlin, you said you didn't see it? I have not. Oh, okay. It's, uh, there's a scene where a character, um, his uh, hand gets possessed by a demon and he has to lop <laughs> it off. And it's played completely as like a Three Stooges comedy. But mm-hmm. at one point he falls down and he's holding his, his possessed hand and he turns and he says, work shed. He, he, meaning he's <laughs> going to go to the work shed to get the chainsaw. But when he says work shed, it doesn't, it clearly is not recorded. Like, it was recorded way down the line because it, it yeah. sounds like someone just said it in an empty room. Uh-huh. Um, he, it, it's like, if, if I say work shed, this is how I say it. He it, it, like, say that's how the character says it in the movie. He goes work shed. Like, <laughs> like just, it sounds so terrible. And so in the commentary, Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi are talking goes, Hey, you know, is it the big trouble little China premiere? And uh, Kurt Russell came up to me, goes, say work shed. <laughs> it like confirmed it was the first time in commentary i was like ah ah I've been wait-. like i literally got up out of my seat and like jumped up and down i like lost my mind when i was like <laughs> 17 and that that dvd um we're talking about like how they're like these cool physical um that was put out by a company called anchor bay which i think is now bankrupt um they had like a re- they were kind of the original i guess the criterion version of genre at the time they put out the evil dead in like 27 formats it literally came out every year they would just find a new way to repackage it and call it like a new special edition and i I actually i still have it oh i should go uh i should try and dig it up um i uh i still have it it's a collector's edition tin they only made 500 of them um it's like this big tin box that you open it up and the disc is in there but what's funny the reason i i wish i had pulled it out is because when you open the tin, it's just in a blank CD case. It's inside, like, <laughs> like, there's so much tender love and care to the product, but then what's holding the disc is, like, something you would get out of a pawn shop. Mm. So funny. Um, I find that really relatable. 
<laughs> well, I feel like that's the, that's, that's, I feel like that's all of us. We're all, all our souls are these tins with little, little blank discs inside. There's yeah, a I, metaphor there. Eric? I was just going to say, like, not to again go off topic, but that's one of my issues with Blu-rays, especially, like, some of their special edition ones, is, like, the packaging of, like, the actual disc and, like, how they contain it. It's so cheap. And then what really is bothersome is sometimes they'll do those, like, uh, cardboard sort of ones, or, like, I don't know what you would call it, but, like, canvasy ones. Yeah. And you're, like, literally sliding it into, like, Oh, it's harsh, like a slipcase, like, yeah. And it's it scratches the fucking thing. It's it everything about it. And then like you like some of them like the you have to like pull it off and to pull it off you have to, uh, it's it's maddening the way that they package some of that shit. So, so what I did, I don't know if this makes it easier. I could just do like a quick listing of just the commentaries, like sure, rather yeah. than it, to make it easier because I feel like we, we'll end up like it'll be like twelve thirty and we'll be like, okay, let's move on to bonus features. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, the Robert Rodriguez film commentaries I mentioned earlier that he um, what he was known for he was the first filmmaker to make he made a thing back when El Mariachi blew up um, uh, for people listening who don't know El Mariachi was this movie he funded himself for six thousand dollars and mm. he got his entire career launched off that he made Desperado Once Upon a Time in Mexico Sin City The Faculty a personal favorite and um, he uh, <laughs> Great movie. It, it's so good um but anyway, he uh, ironically his only DVD that he had nothing to do with because he apparently shot that movie as a favor. Um, he it, hmm. it's like a bare bones DVD, but all his other stuff has these things called ten minute film schools where he shows you how he shoots a movie that normally would cost you know a hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars for seven thousand. He like goes through all these different things. His commentaries are unbelievable. Like uh, up until I, I I bought the Spy Kids two DVD. <laughs> because it has an incredible commentary on how to shoot stuff digitally. Like I got more out of that than I did out of my time at film school, I think. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's, that's incredible. It's so yeah, that's good. a very cool use of a bonus feature. For yeah, me. yeah. Absolutely. One unique one that I found when I was doing some research that was included in an article um, was the Back to the Future ride actually was like kind of <laughs> included in this compilation of like extra movie features uh-huh. because it's basically like they went in and filmed like a whole mini feature or yeah. like basically and um so i thought that was cool too just that to, is like, cool that's and- really cool actually yeah, consider all these ideas. There was also one that, um, I mean, this isn't as cool, but it was actually an SNL skit that then was like added into the bonus features of Titanic, but just like, so that, like cross-platform thing. Yeah. But that one was like Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller pitching a sequel to Titanic on uh, SNL to James Cameron. Oh, I remember that. I yeah. Feel like I, yeah I, I, I thought that was that. at the Oscars, but apparently it was an SNL skit. Oh, I, you know, it's so funny. I thought it was the MTV Movie Awards. Well, who fucking knows? Because maybe right, the person right, who right, wrote right. the article <laughs> didn't know. Yeah. Um, so uh, another set of um, commentaries. I like what was interesting about commentaries at the very beginning, too, is filmmakers who have now become much more, I don't know if it's secretive, but they'll do podcasts, I suppose. But they, the way they talk about their filmmaking process we're obviously the big film boys of that era. So like mm. P.T. Anderson, Tarantino, all those guys actually did commentaries for a lot of their movies. I think P.T. Anderson did it for Boogie Nights. Um, at, 
maybe Magnolia. I remember Magnolia had an awesome like hour making of featurette. Um, mm. But the other commentary that I was going to get into was well, a, a whole the whole disc. Um, a callback from our drive-in discussion. I'm hoping this is the one you had listed. Was the True Romance DVD? Yes, sir. That was the one because that's the to, that's the only one. That's the only commentary that Tarantino's ever done, right? Correct. Or yeah, I, yeah. You're you're right. I um no, he did one for from Dust Till Dawn. I was also going to bring that one up, but he he did yeah. that with with Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, but yeah, True Romance was a. Uh, by the way, watching that movie um, for the first time and probably. Actually, I saw it a few years ago, but um, watching it these past two times, I hadn't seen it since I was like 21. And mm. it's a fascinating movie because what holds up about it is how well cast it is. It has this insane yeah. stacked cast. It, but at the time, it was just like this perfect fusion of people who hadn't blown up yet. Like mm. James Gandolfini, Brad Pitt, Samuel L. Jackson... Um, versus these like veterans who were just show, who showed up for three days, you know, Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper, yeah. Gary Oldman, but all of their roles are so idiosyncratic and like incredible. There's so many memorable scenes mm. all built around. And also Patricia Arquette is incredible. And in that I had such yeah, a yeah. for the longest time, um, but uh, all built around Christian Slater, who is a Tarantino avatar in that movie. Um, and is the most uninteresting person of the bunch. Uh, it's so <laughs> yeah, crazy that totally. he's supposed to be the main character. He's like a proto-reply guy in that movie. Yeah. Uh, he like plays a proto, like every time he talks, all he's talking about is like, that's why this Kung Fu movie is the best. That's why this Elvis thing is the best. That's why this issue of Spider-Man is the best. And I'm like, can I hear yeah. one of these other guys talk about like whatever wax poetic on something else? Because it's a beautiful thing. He is the proto like, YouTube commenter, messenger, poster. Yeah. Yeah. Like, totally. I've never thought well, about that. Somewhat related to that, another Back to the Future thing apparently is you can watch a version of that movie where it's like pop-up video version of it. And oh, uh, yes. I, 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 you know what? I, I'll admit Back to the Future isn't as close to my heart as it is for a lot of people. I kind of miss, I, I liked them when I was a kid, but I tried rewatching them like five years ago. And Oh, yeah. Brutal. Uh, yeah. I just, uh, I, I actually find parts of the sequels more charming now. Like that whole opening yeah, scene here. Part, part two where they like that fight in the, in the restaurant and the thing with Jaws 35 or whatever. Like all that Jumping stuff. Jumping out, yeah. Yeah, it was way more charming than anything from the original. I, wa I want to say that, like, oh, you couldn't get away these days with, like, having the whole plot of a movie be, like, you have to go back in time and try not yeah. to fuck your mom, you yeah. know? Uh, but I feel like, actually, it would just be more pornographic now, you know? Yeah, now it would be, yeah, yeah, it would be like a Gaspar Noe movie. It would be much yeah. more, like, 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 much more open about... Uh, well, what's funny is that I always think about that. Like, I, had, I have a friend who always says that. He's like, oh, you couldn't make that this way. And I'm like, that for, you know, that's always a tricky uh, road to go down because I think that, you know, whatever the 80s were the 80s, you, you can't change. But at the same time, you're right. Like, all of this stuff is still being made. Um, Look at whenever... Game of Thrones. Like, the first episode of that, there's just, like, twins fucking and a kid falls yeah. in. Oh, yeah, that, well, that was yeah, when well, I was I, like, what? <laughs> there's nothing worse. I think the worst thing to happen to, like, uh, whenever I hear, a, like, a pro-right-wing film or something, not, like, a pro-right-wing film, but I guess, like, a movie that really sells itself on its anti-PC-ness, it always has this attitude of, like, well, they don't make them like this anymore. And I'm like, they never stopped making them like this. They've only yeah. made them. Yeah. 
Entertainment was created to be appalling. Right, exactly. Like I, I it is, it's just now it's become uh, trolling. That's all it is. Yeah. That's and the only <laughs> difference. I think Greek theaters were just established so like some people could take a break from fucking and just watch other people fucking. I bought, yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. That's like, great. They're, just, they're like, yeah, I don't want to watch this orgy. Let's uh, watch this orgy. <laughs> um, I, I actually just bought this up to... to Someone had posted something on Twitter and I found this old film review of Dirty Harry. Um, and I promise this ties into what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> but there was a review by, oh, by uh, Roger Ebert where he gave it a positive review, but barely. And mm. Oh, somebody, a motorcycle just by. My, my street, yeah. We get, um, we get speedest down on the Somebody street. really wants you to know that they have a small dick. Uh, <laughs> which there's so, nothing wrong with no no there's not no shame i know oh that's that is so hacked that i did that but like there is like an overcompensating thing there that we've been so normalized to think when someone's like revving their engine we don't want to go down the road where we start talking about like I know. Uh, small dates being okay no, that, yeah, is, you, that is a whole episode we can we right. can we can already bookmark our next Patreon episode yeah. and we'll talk about small dick. No, but thank you for saying that. Cause I, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's like low hanging, <clears throat> I guess, no pun intended there. Um, but uh, uh, sorry. So we were talking like there's, but he says this quote at the end of the review where, because during Harry is like such a right wing pro fascist movie, but he's like a movie's not, he's like, I think the problem that movies are like more often a mirror of society than they are an agent of change. And so when you blame a movie of being like the evils of the world, you're kind of getting it backwards. Uh, like if you don't have dirty Harry's out there, the movie's irrelevant. And I, I think that like applies to totally. a lot of, a lot of it, which sucks because there's so many bad movies. But I, the reason I bring that up is all the stuff we're talking about with like, they don't make them like this anymore and that kind of thing. They always do. It's exactly, it's being made because there's a bunch of fucking morons out there. It's why Joker did as well as it did. You know, it's just, mm. I don't want to really admit it. Yeah. Um, Joker is definitely one of those that was hard for me to like as much as I did because I was just like, is this the time where we need like the incel white guy anti-hero that is, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. It's well, there were two movies I think that came out last year that really like, like spoke the Joker is one of those. I, it didn't do anything for me personally. It felt very like, but there was an, well, I won't get into that, but I, I, what I'll say is there's <laughs> another movie called Dragged Across Concrete that was um, with oh, and Vince Vaughn. Yeah. And it was this very provocative movie, but it was, it was, in my opinion, it was a little fraudulent about it. I, I mean, there was like this very, just watching it though, I could see that same attitude of like, well, they don't make them like this anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, oh my this, gosh. You're right, right on. Yep. You got that right on the head. It, it, it's like, he watched it. He's like, he's like, yeah, you remember, you remember when guys like fucking uh, Walter Hill were making movies for men. And it's like <laughs> the, every fucking year there's movies about guys just being dudes. Uh, yeah. like, cut it the fuck out. Um, anyway. So that's, that's the end of that sentence. <laughs> that's definitely one of those things that like, I'm not, I don't, yeah. Scarcity is not an issue in that department yeah mm -hmm. it's, it's very strange i i feel like the conversations about all of these things and why i kind of wish that it's funny physical media i think actually had why commentaries are so great is it kind of just lets artists add whatever they have to to like they don't qualify their work out of it but i think i always feel like the conversation's been two degrees to the left of where it should have been like when people are talking about um whatever the argument is whether it's that it's something's too um toxic or 
some things to um, some like a great example is like watching Disney's live action remakes have been, I, I stopped because I'd rather be ziplined into um, hell. Uh, they're so, so like when people are like oh but they you know it, it, it they're finally progressing this thing about the story forward and i'm like they could have just done that with a an original movie um yeah. instead of like i i can't take the arguments about like okay so captain marvel was a step forward i suppose but it was also a big ad for the air force um yeah i, I don't know I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm like the conversation's <laughs> almost there now we need to like port it into this uh, you know, I mean, Disney is destroying a lot of things too. So I don't know. That's, uh, boy, we really went off the rails. I, well, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I, that's what we're here for, right? Uh, luckily, there's n- zero states in this. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I actually really like the live action Disney remakes. But just <laughs> like, I think as a kid, like I, I projected so much. Like I, I, I imagine I like wanted the, to see them as real so right, badly right. um that like there's something to me that's very like moving and magical about seeing them done as with the i think they just redid them because they're like oh the technology's in place and yes it totally reeks of like lacking material that is as good as that golden era of lion king aladdin and sure. Mermaid and all these movies that were just like bang bang it was like fleetwood mac rumors you know it was just sure. like fucking <laughs> oh, that's hit a good after comparison hit. yeah 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 and, yeah and you know, and like, yes, we don't necessarily need like Fleetwood Mac rumors done redone with synths or something, you know, but like yeah. as a synth pop album. But so I see why people hate it, but there is totally something where I'm like, I want to see who's going to play Aladdin and I want to see that guy sing because that was <laughs> like one of my first erotic experiences as a child was watching A Whole New World and like... I, you know, there's just something magic. I haven't seen the Lion King one yet though because I do feel like it will get for me too deep in the valley of like the, what is the like weird uh what do they call it the something valley oh uncanny what valley is, uncanny valley where well, i'm like yeah what's particularly strange about lion king is that it's an animated movie that <laughs> is just an animated yeah like they didn't really use live real lion right exactly it's not like they took a lion and then poured it a mouth onto him to talk. Yeah. Like it's literally all just CG. Right. But in in landscapes, I, I haven't seen it. That's where I, I kind of stopped because what I saw of Aladdin, um, like Will Smith really gives it his all, but mm-hmm. he's also trying to walk in Robin Williams' shoes. It's I impossible. It. It's so hard because that's like uh, the ultimate animated performance where it's he's so manic you're almost Mm. picturing like they're trying to draw to keep up with what he's riffing on they they probably probably had a script but it it, you know so they kind of and when i watched some of the songs on aladdin i was like there's there's something so cynical about all of it and so um and also it's it's even even if it looks colorful somehow it's all still really flat Mm -hmm. Mm. you know um, I appreciated that, like, Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast, at least, because I think those are the only ones I've seen. I, I also saw Cinderella, but for some oh, reason, I actually, that's Cinderella that barely was... Re- it was fine, just barely registered for me. Um, but I, I did appreciate, I, I appreciate how much they are shot for shot, because that's exactly yeah. the fuck reason I'm watching it. <laughs> I am furious that Mulan is apparently not a musical. Yeah. That, because Mulan has insane. some of the best yeah. music. Yeah, it's crazy how... 
Well, I, I've, I've read reviews that it's like apparently very nationalistic. And I mean, this is all secondhand. Oh. But it's like apparently there's a lot of a lot more problems with Mulan beyond. Uh, that's what I mean. Like they, they got some parts of it right in terms of representation. But it's a, 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 but for some reason, everything else they clocked out on. It's very strange. Um, Sounds like Disney, though, because like yeah, as much as I, you know, it's damn there's a comparison i really want to make but i won't i won't go there but like <laughs> you know it, it's like they yes like people you know work for oil comp- corporations that are people of color now or you know, <laughs> oh no that's a great example that's actually a great example <laughs> yeah. of that um or I that are queer that, or something but it doesn't mean right. you're not doing something like kind of evil at the end of the day and i think disney will always be a little bit like that because it's just a massive corporation and they're yeah. selling america they truly are yeah, I, yeah. Ab- absolutely. It's it's working. Well, they have so many evil tactics about how they uh, keep stuff in theaters longer or else like that. Why indie movies can't play it. Oh, yeah. Theaters. Yeah. I actually um, I two things on that. One very small thing was just while I was researching this episode, I was like trying to research Easter eggs. And the, the only place I could even find a list of the Disney Easter eggs were on a Disney site. It was like a Disney <laughs> fan site. And they oh, wouldn't tell so you what the they wouldn't funny. tell you what the Easter egg was. They would just tell you oh. where, they only told you where it was and what the icon would appear. And then Wait, it was Jesus. like, you have to buy the DVD to like find even the Easter egg or even God, know what they're it good. is. God, they are God, they're good. When I was in college, real quick, one, one thing, um, yeah, yeah. I took this course that was literally like the people teaching it were, for, there is an entire Disney corporation. There's an entire business setup that's only filled like start to finish with people whose job it is to go on the internet and erase all things that Disney does not want on the internet. Like that negative, is the job. So incredible. Yeah. Or what, like what go sit in, yeah, or like go sit in movie theaters and like take the cameras out of people's hands. Like these are people's jobs, you know, wow. and they do it better than anyone. And there's a reason it's like, you are not going to find Mulan on some fucking. Yeah. And they, 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 they had a stronghold on DVDs for that. I have Aladdin on DVD and I think I have Lion King. I have a few because they put them out and they're like, well, it's going back in the vault. How psychotic is that? That they're like, you need to buy this right now. And then we're going to put it away until we do. Now, obviously streaming, they kind of, it's so funny how they went in the opposite direction and they're like, every fucking thing is on <laughs> Disney. Plus. I, you want the fucking computer war tennis shoes? We have that on yeah. there. You want, you want uh, what is it? Mr. Boogity? Like, they, it's crazy, oh, shit. which I, I, I'm glad those things are on there because that's probably their most interesting work, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, they're but, such hardcore capitalists, you know? Yes, it's yes. like, how could they not take that opportunity? I know. <laughs> um, uh, th- should we go to Easter eggs or should we do True Romance, by the way? I didn't know, because you just said Easter Get- eggs and I was like going to segue on that. Because True Romance needs its own thing that I want to like, yeah. talk about. Hit it, hit it real quickly because I was going to bring it up myself. Oh, okay. So that that two disc was incredible. It has like an well, not just because of the Tarantino soul commentary and Tony Scott's commentary, and and also I think Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette do a commentary together. Um, it also has a director's cut, um, and um, it's I that version is probably the most perfect version of that movie to me, and I'd seen it so mm-hmm. many times that when I rewatched it at the drive-in and also a few years ago at the new Bev, um, it was insanely different um, to the point that I like, it's jarring to me now, um, particularly with the scene at the end 
when um, after Christian Slater gets shot and Patricia Arquette's like crying over his his body before he comes back to life, um, Chris Penn comes in the room and shoots one of the bodyguards and Patricia Arquette then picks up the gun and shoots that guy. She shoots Chris Penn. And that's how I remembered it for years. And then the last two times I saw it, um, it, just some random one. Oh, the character that only speaks Italian who had died, gets up for a second, shoots Chris Penn and dies again. (laughs) That I don't remember actually. That's actually how it plays in the theatrical version. Um, And so if you watch it on 35, that's how you're going to see it. Or if you see it at any like repertory screening, so I always remember it as Patricia Arquette. Also, the deleted scenes are insane. Christopher Walken has a whole nother 10-minute monologue, mm-hmm. um, and, which is great. His scene is like, it's actually a bummer they cut it. There's a whole scene with Gary Oldman when he, shoot, when he steals the cocaine at the beginning where he like goes on this whole rant. When they get that, there's this whole conversation. Uh, you've seen it, right, Caitlin? Have you seen Drew Romance? Oh, her audio. Oh, her audio. Your audio cut out, Caitlin. I'm sorry. I muted myself because my AC is on. Um, (laughs) I saw it a long time ago, but I haven't seen like the bonus features. There's like a, there's like a scene in the movie where Gary Oldman, they have this whole conversation about going down on women and whether they do or don't. Back when that conversation was a thing in the nineties. And uh, (laughs) Gary answer Oldman. is yes gentlemen of course yeah like and what's funny is one of the characters said like it's samuel jackson walks in he goes hey the pussy i ate the butt ate everything and at that point no one was even talking about eating ass yet and so i don't know as regressive as that movie is there's some progressive stuff there um, <laughs> nothing more progressive these days than time out eating ass yeah exactly um and uh and so gary oldman has this whole monologue before he blows all those guys away and in the in the original movie he literally says one line so the conversation doesn't even make any sense so it, like that's a dvd that for people who if you're fans of that movie um i think that version is worth seeking out i would have loved to have seen um on the bonus features on that uh johnny comes home in a body bag like i wish they would have made like a oh fake little yeah yeah coming home in a body bag the war but, yeah saul saul rubinex movie like yeah. fake movie in it uh i would have loved if they made like a little because uh to segue off of that kind of thing um they're one of the ones on my list that i want to hit real quickly was uh tropic thunder the ben stiller robert Downey jr oh, yeah, movie yeah. from 2008 uh so famously during Apocalypse Now, they made a you know documentary about Francis Ford Coppola kind of losing his mm-hmm. mindset. So this called a Heart of Darkness, and Ben Stiller made like a fake sort of Heart of Darkness thing about oh. the behind the scenes of Tropic Thunder about the character. God, I'm blanking on his name now, but um, yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you Robert, mean. Robert Downey Jr.'s fake character, and they actually filmed it at the hotel that Robert Downey Jr. was staying at. And so Robert Downey Jr. is still like in, in character blackface. in blackface oh, at God. the hotel. And he had, like, they hired these, like, guys to come out and play his sons. And it's all about how, like, he's losing his mind. He's throwing stuff in the pool. He's, like, hiding from the maid. with And, like, they gave Robert Downey Jr. like his own camera. So it's, like, all Blair Witch style where he's, like, hiding in the, like, hotel room. Like, it's all about how his character is oh, that's slowly great. losing his mind. And then in that movie, his character, he even makes like a throwaway line where he's like, I don't drop out of character until after the DVD commentary is done. And when you listen to the audio commentary, audio commentary, everyone else is like, you know, themselves, like Ben Stiller is actually like, yeah. And then I wrote this scene and then Robert Downey Jr. is playing like his character yeah. in character. Uh, that's, that's spectacular. 
yeah. it's also exhausting honestly I, it's, I, I read, so yeah. i i'm telling you i i really appreciate it that was what dvd like that's what dvd bonus features were made for in my opinion like for on the goofier yeah. side yeah no it's great it's just a reminder of like why i'll never date an actor <laughs> that sounds oh, God, like a fucking yeah. can nightmare you, can you imagine um <laughs> I uh, I actually there's a great um, uh, Punch Drunk Love another that's that's a movie that PTA, luckily yeah. has just about I think always had like a special edition but I remember I got I bought the two disc version of that and there's a great great in fake commercial for Philip Seymour Hoffman's mattress store yeah really that's so yeah awesome. and you can see it on YouTube actually and the reason it's it's it, it it's absolutely worth seeing isn't just because it's a great commercial but he um, so he's playing guitar on the roof of the store. And there's a pile of mattresses on top of a pickup truck. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the commercial is supposed to end with him landing on the mattresses. And he does, but he bounces off it and falls off onto the floor. <laughs> it is fucking hysterical. Um, he, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great, like, features worth owning. I, uh, t- t- on this very similar note, uh, speaking of Paul Thomas Anderson and Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, the master there and this is also on youtube there's an incredible um like i guess you can call it an outtake blooper moment where it's this particular scene from the master where it's literally like almost the entire cast it's uh philip senior hoffman joaquin phoenix amy adams and like everyone else they're all happen to be in like an elevator in one scene and someone just like farts in the mid like in that like actually like in real life and philip seymour hoffman is like cackling it's so funny because everyone is you can see for a split second that everyone is so fucking nervous to like react anyway and philip seymour hoffman like doubles over so then ah. everyone else feels like they have permission to kind of laugh and except fucking phoenix he, he can t- either either he's the one who did it and so he doesn't want to call attention <laughs> to himself or he's just like he really wants to stay in character or something like that but like he he was oh, not biting great into that moment but it's it's a real great almost like character study type little <laughs> clip to watch that like you can feel like everyone like this kind of like can we react to this and philip seymour often doesn't give a fuck because he's just like laughing his ass off yeah. <laughs> i can see walking phoenix just being like very stoic yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, not being, yeah not breaking character uh-huh um he's thinking about his inventing the abbots <laughs> he has to go to afterwards <laughs> um i let's see um oh i also have well i feel like this is its own section too um uh early fincher dvds david fincher dvds um Mm -hmm. particularly Mm. particularly uh seven and fight club were very uh well fight club at the time that's what kind of i think saved that movie from financial ruin um yeah yeah. Uh, that DVD became one of the best-selling DVDs of all time, and the fact that like I own it, yeah, and I only a, have it, like eight DVDs. It's yeah, and that packaging is so cool on it, like the, yeah. the fake package around it. Um, it's one of the first. The first DVD I ever bought was I actually can remember the first three DVDs I bought were um, Terminator Two. Fight Club, Fight Club, and Clerks. Which boy was I? Was I sixteen or was I sixteen? Yeah, I was gonna say, um, you saw like every dorm room I ever went into in my life. Uh, yeah, and I, I haven't even gotten to a dorm yet. That's how. Um, I, I, I still, I still blame Fight Club for me not having any nice furniture. <laughs> I'm just like too counterculture, man. Yeah, it's so funny because I remember I was at, uh, I like 
was when I was in film school, a filmmaker came in to talk and um, who had made this independent film. And he was like, well, you know, I never thought Fight Club was a counterculture film because it was used with studio money. And in my head, I'm like, that's why you don't get it, man, because they use studio money to fucking play the right. trick yeah, on the yeah. studio. Um, uh, which, by the way, a great prank on studio money that came out a few years after Fight Club. If you ever want to see, I, it's a hard movie to recommend, but uh, Freddie Got Fingered is like, I yeah. think, the studio oh, yeah. prank. Um, I'll always have a soft spot for that movie, honestly. Oh, I, yeah, that's a movie that, like, uh, absolutely, at the time, uh, it's like, what a prank that couldn't pay off for, like, another 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, yeah, David Fincher's early DVDs. I have Seven is a two-disc one that really goes through, like, a lot of stuff and has multiple commentaries. That was the first time I think I ever saw co commentaries that were recorded separately and edited into the same commentary. Hmm. Um, both with that oh. and, and Fight Club. Because I remember there was like uh, Morgan Freeman, I think on Seven and Helena Bottom Carter on Fight Club. It did not feel, if I remember correctly, I mean, I haven't listened to either of them in literally yes. decades, but it sounds like, you know, you're listening to like Fincher and Brad Pitt talk in one room and then suddenly yeah. uh, Helena Bottom Carter will come in with like a British accent and talk about this one particular scene. And then the audio, the like, you know, you hear, they, yeah, yeah. They, they never get room tone on it, so you can kind yeah. of tell the difference of the two tracks, like yeah, right I, in there. You're right. That hers was. It did feel very superimposed, like on scenes specific to her, where she had like maybe one or two, you know, well, right. anecdotes. Room sound aside, though, I could kind of imagine, like, if you put Brad Pitt and Helena Bonham Carter in a room and had them, like, have a conversation, it would sound like they were having two different conversations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess. Especially in that period, because I feel like when they're talking, I, I, I believe there's three commentaries. I'm like, one is with like Helena Bonham Carter, Brad Pitt, David Fincher, and others with like David Fincher and Chuck Palahniuk. And oh, I think in almost all of them, at the end when the when um, Where's My Mind comes on, mm -hmm. every, all of them are just like, yeah, great fucking choice, man. What a great <laughs> choice. Like, yeah. they all, everyone like stops to acknowledge. <laughs> like, what a great. Oh yeah, that is like one of the most, for sure, like one of the most memorable like film needle uh, drops. Like yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For the on the uh, for the DVDs too, I remember still. Uh, I haven't owned it in a while, but I remember Fight Club. Don't they? Isn't there like a weird glitch? And then for a second, mm -hmm. you think you see like the Never Been Kissed Drew Barrymore yes. movie like DVD menu. Mm -hmm. Like it fa it fakes you out, which again like a brilliant use. Of, well, that was it's meta because the character splices porn into kids. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. It's so good, and like and it happens when you're also in the middle of. I remember I was perusing through the menu on the second disc for like the features. And uh, at some point in the middle of the menu, it suddenly like warps and distorts, like as if the disc mm -hmm. is spinning. Uh -huh. And then it, it goes into like some, one of the Dust Brothers songs for like a second and then it comes right back. Yeah. And you can't it's, do anything the entire time. You have yeah, to let it happen. There, and there's like, there's scenes where I, I think it's when uh, Tyler, or I'm sorry, Edward Norton character, I, whose name I don't remember. Does he no, he's, have he's, he's the narrator. Yeah, yeah the that's so he's like following Marla down the street, and like he'll do things where like his you'll see a double of him like in the right. background really quick, but it's like a glitch, yeah. it's like mm -hmm. a real quick. So it's cool because what I like that it does is like the the character, you know, it's such a fucking film school film in that way. It is, yeah. It's so like oh, because the character is an insomniac, and so you're kind of like getting in his mindset, and it just feels very glitchy. <laughs> and like when you have an yeah, I'm gonna pull something like, up what? about this movie in a second. I just I just want to see. That's why I'm like I'm listening, but because there's something I, I'm I'm like a big. I've already mentioned that Dirty Harry review, but I think like uh, like I I. I 
really get a kick out of going back and reading old Ebert reviews. Ebert, kinda, same here. Yeah, he's kind of like him and Polly and Kale are really the only two people who have like pretty idiosyncratic views on movies that are typically like really liked. And he didn't like Fight Club. He's watched it. He tried watching it like I think three times and he says he could never get fully on board with it. Was um, he ever a 16-year-old boy when he watched it though? Well, I'm so glad you said that yeah. because this is his review. My favorite part of his review is... Um, uh, Okay, this is, he goes, it's macho porn. The sex movie Hollywood has been moving toward for years in which eroticism between the sexes is replaced by all guy locker room fights. Women who've had a lifetime of practicing and dealing with little boy posturing will instinctively see through it. Men may get off on the testosterone rush. The fact that it's very well made and has a great first act certainly clouds the issue. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, that's Call scathing. it like it is. <laughs> it's, it's a bit true. I was a fan of the movie because I was like, I read everything Chuck Fallon wrote for a while. I did too, I yeah. I was. Him. I did too. Oh, uh, cool. I, 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 he signed uh, Haunted and he wrote in the- I think that was the same one I got signed actually he, in he Chicago. He did that book tour and, and he did it in, in South Florida. He wrote, Eli, this is your life. And then he signed it. And I was nice. like, oh, the perfect quote. Um, yeah. Uh, like so that. wait, there's one other thing I wanted to just, oh, this is what I, why I wanted to pull up the review when we're talking about like it being the 16 year old boy movie. He goes, um, is Tyler Durden in fact the leader of men with a useful philosophy? <laughs> uh, I'm trying not to laugh while I read this because this gets me every time. It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything, he says, sounding like a man who tripped over the Nietzsche display on his way to the coffee bar in Borders. <laughs> Damn, that's like the perfect roast of that movie i think yeah. it, it does where it's like it validates like i i think he's wrong i mean I, i've seen i saw the movie fairly recently and i, I do think most of it holds up um yeah. it's it, funny because it, i met chad palinuk in a borders oh that's i think he i was supposed <laughs> to meet him at a bookstore and they moved it because the he it, it was such a big turnout uh-huh. and he but i just remember like the thing about that the tragedy of that movie is the kind of like the nirvana effect where Mm -hmm. just too many people got into it and the wrong people got into it and they 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 broke the first rule about fight club right exactly and (laughs) and i I, it's exactly why like a a lot yeah exactly and um they even broke the second rule um we're meta as fuck tonight you guys i know balls so yeah it's it, it it sucks when like that's where the internet really ruined a lot actually no the internet didn't ruin it it long before social media dudes were still clamoring over this shit. I remember when I, yeah, yeah. I saw it, I was in theaters. I, I saw it when I was 14. I went with my best friend, Sydney. We saw Bringing Out the Dead and then we went into Fight Club. We saw both. Oh, whoa, them. that's quite the double feature. It Bring is. Out the Dead, man. That is a trip of a movie as well. By the so time you, good. If you By the see way, both those movies back to back, you must feel like really fucked up in a weird way. Well, it's crazy <laughs> when you're when you're like, at the time, you don't register those things because movie going was so different back then. Back then, a, a studio system was there, but sequels and adaptations were just kind of starting to rev up. So that was just a normal weekend. Yeah. Um, in terms of releases. Uh, so, but, I mean, I mean we, we went nuts over both of them. They were both, that was a very defining evening for me for sure. Yeah, but sure. yeah I could see that. There's a great book I think both of you should read called 1999 Best Movie Year Ever. I forget how it's stylized, but it's entirely a movie, a, a book about, it, it talks about every movie and we really don't realize how many insanely good movies actually came out in 1999. Yeah. That I, were... Uh, seminal but also like ones that flopped and are now huge uh blair witch came out in 99 which whether you liked or not like every so many movies 
ran with that like after oh, yeah. that movie came out Blair like, Witch Fight Club Matrix Magnolia yeah. being John Malkovich I mean I, that, that's just on one hand um like even movies like South South Park came out um I, I mean Austin awesome Powers I think uh the sequel did yeah the sequel um, made, yeah uh American Pie was that year which really kind of reinvented sex comedies for, for yeah. worse um <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, I could go on. There's like Jesus, so many yeah, you're, you're right. That year really the was. sixth sense. I saw like, some meme that was like the the scene from American Pie where he's sitting with Eugene Levy, you know, and and the oh yeah, pie, like his dad and the pie, and it's like the original uh, WAP, like WAP. <laughs> <laughs> that by the way, that's a movie where the the uh, a DVD I had, um, and the double fe- the, the there was features on it, and I remember. I got the unrated version. And what's funny about the unrated version is he fucks the pie in a different position. <laughs> so ridiculous. Like, is it doggy style? No, <laughs> oh, no, missionary. That's what's so fucking weird about it. He like, I remember in the movie, I think it's a, he's standing up. <laughs> yeah. And I thought about it and I was like, wouldn't compel them to be like, let's shoot this from a different angle and uh, figure it out in post. <laughs> and it makes you wonder how many they did. I guess there's only yeah. so many you really can do, honestly. I know, right? I don't know, man. Guy, they're guy, I'm sure if you post this on Reddit, guys will be like, I can tell you a bunch of different ways. <laughs> Actually? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, can I send you some pics? Uh, <laughs> well, we, we got to round it out, Eric, um, or wrap it up, I should say. So if do you have anything to round it out before we... You know what? I, I got to say, Eli actually pretty much but, every single thing that yeah, was like, you oh, my he hit. Oh, yeah. thank you guys. I'm glad I lived up. And I, I, so can I touch on two more things? Please, yeah. Okay, Please great, do. Okay, So two things I want to talk about. One very lightly. Um, another set of DVDs that really were like, well, it was actually, I guess, a DVD, but um, there's a company called Troma. Oh, yeah. They're not very, they kind of didn't really cross over in the internet era. You think they would, but... <laughs> Um, I mean, they still have a following, but for people who don't know, they were kind of the original independent horror studios founded by this guy named Lloyd Kaufman <coughs> and Michael Hertz. Lloyd Kaufman's kind of the face of it. Uh, he made a movie called The Toxic Avenger, um, which was this kind of like a satire on superhero movies where this like, uh, this literally guy gets, this small nerd gets transferred into a huge toxic sludge of a person <laughs> wearing a tutu. And it's spawned like an insane amount of sequels. But it also had a cartoon series for kids called The Toxic Crusaders. It's mm-hmm. like it, 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 they, they bankrolled so many movies after that. But the Toxic Avenger DVD, uh, what Troma was really good at was hyping themselves. Yes. Um, they had a few DVDs. Toxic, Toxic Avenger was one. Um, Terror Firmer was the other one. It was a two-disc um, movie. It's a slasher movie set on a film set. And um, the censors were like, well, we can't make this rated R. This movie has so many problems. So what he did was he made his own R-rated version and they gave it the R rating. But what he did was he would interrupt the scene and talk about the scene (laughs) and then make a joke out of it. So one of them was Kaufman plays himself as like a blind director. He walks into a bathroom where a couple, uh, two people from the film set are fucking and he can't see. And so he just pisses all over them thinking he's peeing in a urinal. That's the joke. It's very (laughs) sophomoric, but it's whatever. So in the R rated version, it cuts to him being like, okay, so he puts on, he dresses the director. He has someone bring in 
a stick figure drawing of two people fucking and he he throws peas on them literal peas and he goes this is r-rated urination just throwing peas and um anyway the that's why i love those guys it's it's so great and and um but on the toxic avenger dvd and i think on it's on actually every trauma dvd are their trailers which are the i don't know how they've aged recently i haven't watched any of the trailers now they're for movies that are borderline unwatchable that they acquired, <laughs> not that they made. But if you, you, you can look it up on YouTube. One is a movie called Surf Nazis Must Die. Yes. Um, oh, classic. Great the, soundtrack, the, too. Yeah, the movie itself, I had such a hard time finishing. I, like, I literally, I think I had to watch it four times before I could get, like, I had to stop and start it. But the trailer is incredible it is so good <laughs> there's another one called blood sucking freaks it's a great trailer um those are the two but anyway so yeah that was like just kind of very uh, formal for me in a weird way um the last thing i wanted to talk about was kind of an anti-dvd um which was the <clears throat> mulholland drive dvd <laughs> yes <laughs> very first mulholland drive now it's on criterion it's absolutely worth owning that's a top two for me it's one of my favorite movies but um it the original dvd for people who don't know before any special edition came out david lynch made them put it out a certain way which is there were no special features and there are no chapters like no breaks Mm -hmm. um so you can't stop the movie at any you can pause it but you can't stop and then come back and back you know when dvds were a big thing one of their big things was they had chapters so if you Mm -hmm. stop the movie you could start it back up and just jump into a chapter Mm -hmm. right Uh, but because that movie hinges on the last act for a lot of people there's a lot of interpretation that that's actually really the beginning the actual Mm -hmm. reality for the movie so for people who want to watch that part first and then go back and watch it he doesn't want you to do that so yeah trolled his own audience brilliantly um so you can only fast forward and then start the movie over there's no commentary all he did was he put a slip case or excuse me a slip a little card inside the movie with 10 clues to deciphering Mulholland Drive oh but it it, to me was him being like oh fuck DVDs this is the opposite (laughs) and um and then he sold off like the blue velvet and Firewalk with me to Criterion and say, "Yeah, you guys do whatever you want with it." <laughs> I w- real quickly uh, on David Lynch temp, uh, David Lynch tip because uh, I did want to bring it up. Was you had mentioned earlier Inland Empire? Um, in the movie, there's like a really creepy um, scene where it's you're watching like what appears to be like a sitcom about like a family of rats, and the whole time there's really intense, eerie, like very Lynchian uh, music playing in the background. And they'll just say kind of like these non sequiturs, like they'll just say something like, oh, the sun rose today. But then they'll like, they drive in like this hard laugh track that's like playing (laughs) at the same time as the creepy music. So it's very disorienting in a classic David Lynch way. Uh, On the DVD for Inland Empire, you can watch like, because it's just like one scene in the movie, but on the DVD, you can watch like, they just have like, it's like 30 minutes or an hour it's just like non-stop this rat family sitcom <laughs> thing you can watch it's the creepiest fucking tough thing you could ever watch oh, that's I love great it. I, yeah. I i really hope that like i i'm the other reason i keep most of my physical media is because you just sometimes streaming serv- things don't go to streaming and also like yep. they can push pull this shit whenever they want so it's like mm-hmm. even if you were to buy a movie on there um you're like it's like paying for air because you don't know what 
it can have like what if they just decide what if something folds like then you don't have that movie anymore yeah it's weird they i mean that's true for anything like breaking bad like they could just decide one day which they never would but like they could just decide one day oh you know what just we don't want breaking bad streaming anywhere ever again and it would just be you know gone and i miss i also miss the i feel like this brings it full circle i miss the because we were talking about at the beginning about kind of like the tactile nature of these things but um, yeah the hands i on, do yeah. miss shopping for them and i mean this also kind of speaks to a different era of being alive but um you know when i first moved to la one of the things i could do as a broke person was go to amoeba and just thumb through every fucking dvd yeah but more importantly go through their as is section I can't tell you mm-hmm. how I could. You give me ten dollars and put me in an as is section <laughs> in Amoeba, music or movies. I could walk out with a fucking stack. The richest um, man in the world. Yes, true. Yeah. Because right. also, there's weird shit you can find there that I I couldn't find for years. I uh, the faculty soundtrack, which like is mostly a nostalgia thing. It's <laughs> yeah. <sorry. laughs> um, and oddly, the Go soundtrack was another one that when I was fourteen was really cool to me. So I Ghost? found it there for like two. Uh, no, Go. God. Oh, no, no, go, like, no, no. <laughs> God, could you imagine? I was like, oh yeah, the Righteous Brothers I'm song. Same I just, melody, just it, on the yeah. Is that the Righteous Brothers? Did I say that? Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, good yeah, either them or the Everly Brothers. One of the two. The Everly Brothers. That's who it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I like uh, the Go soundtrack. I, you know, which had most famously "New" by No Doubt. That was the big song back yeah, then. Uh, independent movies had their own um, had crucial soundtracks, mm-hmm. uh, um, so I could find yeah. shit there for like. Yeah, I just remember I would always get these. I bought like the Go soundtrack, a Cardigans album, and like three <laughs> other three other things for like eight dollars. It's just like I'm like, man, you just they don't make them like that anymore. Yep, <laughs> unless you. Uh... Subscribe to Netflix for seven ninety nine a month. First, first band on the moon. Um, I already had that album. No, it was the one with the race. A race with rewind on it. The one with Gran Turismo and all that. It was like okay. uh, to me an underrated album. Yeah, I I, I fucking love that band. Yeah, I see you, Cardigans. Shouts out, Cardigans. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Caitlin, was there any uh, that you kind of last minute ones you wanted to throw out there from your list? My only last minute thought was uh, just that Toxic Crusaders is what I'm going to call Trump supporters from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Highly recommend, again, the Surf Nazis Must Die trailer is a fucking ride in itself. It's such a good trailer. And the guy who does the voiceover for it really got a day's pay for that. I'm going to see if I can find that online. I I can't say if that movie, I'm sure the movie isn't good. It's just, it means a lot to me because I was like a big movie of my youth so i'll forever love uh surf nazis must die <laughs> thank god you said that at the end you paused I know. For a second. <laughs> i'll forever love surf nazis and we're like <laughs> and I are just like um, like right, that's yeah. right when my phone battery decides yeah, it dies. <laughs> and caitlin's like we're uploading immediately upload immediately yeah, yeah. And, and she and i just have to sit with that information and talk yeah. about it for the next hour it's just us talking about well our surf nazis people yeah. No. <laughs> uh, was there any, Eli? Was there any other things from your list you wanted to hit real quick? No, I was just looking. I, I think I, I think I literally got everything in, like to to one degree or another. I'm just double checking it. Yeah, I, I got it all. I got them all in there. Well, I have to turn my AC back on, so I'm gonna have to say goodnight <laughs> to you. Yeah, guys. I agree. Please do, Eli. Uh, thank you so yeah. much for uh, coming back on, Eli. Thank you for uh, hanging 
in there with us during all these technical difficulties in the beginning. Uh, ended up being fun. Ended up being good. Yeah, I had a blast. Hey, thank you guys for having me. This is such a cool like thing to talk about and like uh, such a great topic. I, I don't know. I had a blast. I'd love to come back anytime you guys want to talk about whatever other thing we we dovetailed <laughs> into. Yeah, I forget uh, what we bookmarked as our next topic. Small dick energy. Oh, small dick energy. Thank small you, dick energy. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, my brain is shrinking because I, speaking of nostalgia, the new Tony Hawk game came out this weekend. Yeah. Like, <laughs> for, all I've been tweeting about is that the soundtrack, I, uh, the, that was like a very formative soundtrack for me. I, I saw you post, I saw you tweet about the Mill and Colin, No Cigar, and I was like, fuck uh, it. Pennybridge Pioneers, that album. Beautiful oh, album. Chef Kiss. Chef um, Kiss. That, by the way, sorry, I, one last, I just want to say about this. That is, I, I read some interview just yesterday, I think, with one, I think it was like Lagwagon or one of the guys that's on the, one of the bands that's on there that said like, it, it was the only soundtrack where like bands that weren't on the radio had a hit single. Yeah. I that's totally. how those bands got like known. Like when they played their big single, it was whatever song was off Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk. <laughs> That's so great. What a weird, just, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll probably have to do that. <laughs> yeah, do an episode well. on that. I will that. do part three. I will fucking clock in for that so hard. You'll literally watch my brain melt as I talk to you guys. About that. <laughs> I might clock you out for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. No, thank you guys again for having me. This was seriously yeah. so fucking fun. I love this. Oh, anytime. Yeah, it was super fun. It was way more meta than I had. I, I, when Eric said the thing about like them being a pre- Purser to podcast, my mind was blown. And I was like, blown, "Yes, we yeah. are literally doing commentary on commentary on commentary." Totally. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Good for us. All right. Well, All right. Uh, Eli, thank you so much. As we always say, Kaylin, thanks for being the host. Most good night, guys. All right. Good night. Bye. Bye.